Welcome to the Inspire Church podcast. We are a church being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and living in the rhythms of life, seeking the good of the city for the glory of God. Today, we're currently meeting a one-to-one grant match. Please consider giving so we can meet our match. If you'd like to give, you can give at inspirechurches.com. Be blessed. Welcome back. We are a few hours away from celebrating um, 20, the passing of 2023. Um, for some of you are like excited about that. And um, 2024. How many of you are ready to leave 20? Wait, wait, wait. Let me finish. So you just, y'all be going. How many are ready to leave 2023 behind? How many, how many are like, no, nah, I kind of like 2023 and I kind of want to stay a little longer? Yeah. Okay. I, I'm glad for the two people that said yes. Um, and the rest of you are like, ah, who knows? Who cares? Um, good morning, everybody. Um, man, Christmas Eve was incredible. Uh, I think we had about 375 people show up. We, <clears throat> we packed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I was I was listening to kind of a, 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 the trends for 2024 and on a podcast and <clears throat> and uh, they were talking about the capacity that a church has and how Christmas Eve really is the result of your congregation inviting and the result of the church learning to tell its story um, <clears throat> so that folks would come and that. Um, that your church has the potential. That's the potential of your church every Sunday. And um, not that it's all about the numbers um, and not that I don't like seeing your faces every week, but um, I know that Inspired Church um, uh, in 2024, looking forward to stretching and looking forward to encouraging you to continue with urgency to um, minister the gospel to your neighbors, to your coworkers, to your closest friends, to give invitations, to um, take a, a holy pride in your church and, and, um, and to really see um, the lid lifted off of this place. Um, and so uh, I am just excited and just kind of envisioning like what that could look like in the next three to five years. Imagine in the next three years, you know, if we doubled um, in size, what we could do, <clears throat> not just inside the house, but outside of the house. And, and so um, I'm just uh, super uh, excited and um, encouraged by that and looking forward to challenging you in 2024 and looking forward to um, seeing um, God do an, an increasing work in this place. This morning, we are going to finish our sermon. Well, first of all, I want to say welcome and hello to my mother-in-love, Althea, who is visiting us from Atlanta. She was here with us on Christmas Eve, and she's here with us this morning. It's always great to celebrate the holidays with you. I love you. Um, uh, today, we are going to, this morning, we are going to finish our sermon series that we have entitled Extraordinary Encounters, um, and uh, I thought I would finish the sermon series off by preaching through the text that's found in Isaiah chapter 6. It's a pretty well-known text if you've been in church for a long time. If you haven't been in church for a very long time, it's a great opportunity to learn uh, a, a story that is told often in churches 
And it's really the call of the prophet Isaiah. And it's really his encounter um, in the throne room of God. Um, it's a really beautiful text, and I'm really excited to jump into it. But before we do, uh, Extraordinary Encounters was really the birthed out of our desire to encounter the Lord. And that throughout the scriptures, there are stories of men and women who are encountering the power of God and the presence of God and the person of God in such a deep way that it profoundly transforms and changes their lives. Like, you know, someone has truly encountered the Lord when they're never the same again. And I feel like many of us um, have encountered the Lord, but maybe some of us need a fresh encounter with the Lord. Um, I think maybe some of us in this room maybe have it. We've thought that we've encountered God, but, it, but that encounter really hasn't changed you. And so I, just this morning, as we look at his encounter, I want to think about our encounter with God. And I just want to tell you that it's a supernatural experience that we're going to talk about, which reminds me of the recent commentary uh, concerning uh, aliens and um, UFOs and UAPs and um, how Congress now has uh, started to talk about it. has been a public discourse around extraterrestrial phenomena and how the government actually might have knowledge uh, or actually has credible evidence of like alien beings and biologics and and all of this stuff is being talked about and if you're listening to commentaries it's not just like the far out conspiracy theorists but now it's being brought into the light and I kind of laugh because I wonder where you stand you know like what, what do you think about all of this and what does it do to your theology you know and uh and you know is this extraterrestrial or is this even spiritual you know I heard one commentator suggest that there is might be a supernatural natural component to all of this. Um, and it was interesting because, I, again, I listened to some podcasts that range from all over the place. I won't mention any names because the minute I say a name, you're going to immediately lock me into a particular tribe, and it's not me. But, someone, <laughs> but I was listening to one commentator, and they were talking about how they knew what the government, they know some things that the government knows, but like they're refusing to kind of release it to the public because if they were to release it to the public, it would like blow our minds. And that, like, this truth has been hidden because society would collapse. As we know it, it would fall apart if some of these things came out. And, uh, and so there's such an awe and such a wonder and such a fear uh, about this. And, um, and so I'm going to quit rambling about this because as I'm looking out, many of you look very uninterested. <laughs> And I'm very interested. In fact, I'm just talking to Aira right now because he's laughing and shaking his head. But uh, why am I even talking about this? Well, because it's really interesting because Isaiah has a supernatural encounter. And there is awe and there is fear and there is wonder and, and there is mystery and there is so many of the things um, that we hear folks talking about uh, in their stories. And so um, if you have your Bibles, uh, open up with me to Isaiah chapter 6. We are going to read the first eight verses 
Uh, and if we can, it would be great to kind of lift the lights up just a little. I don't know. I don't think we have those kind of lights, but we can raise the lights up um, for those that are in their scriptures. Isaiah chapter 6, and we are going to read verses 1 through 8. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. And I'll wait for some of you um, to get there. You know, I was kind of debating whether I wanted to share the alien portion of my introduction. <laughs> no, earlier today. And I was like, you know what? I think it might be best just to read the text. But I thought, nah. I, you know why I said like, it's going to be a game time decision. That I'll walk up here and then I'll decide to jump into the text or do the alien thing. And I realized I probably shouldn't have done the alien thing. <laughs> And I wasted about four minutes of my time. So hopefully um, you guys understand the tension of the preacher. Amen. Isaiah chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 8. Um, are you ready? Yes. Amen. The word of the Lord says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. And with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. That's probably what the government has in its possession. Kidding, kidding, kidding. Just trying to redeem my alien narrative, okay? Verse 3. And one called to another... And said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Verse 5. And I said, this is Isaiah speaking. Woe is me for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean, unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Praise God. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am. Send me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that your word would not come back void this morning. I pray that it would accomplish everything that it has been sent out to do. I pray every heart, every mind would become good soil this morning so that as the seed of the kingdom of God is casted, that it would fall on good soil. It would grow and produce much fruit so that you would be honored and glorified in our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
if you're following along with me, if you're taking notes, if you just want to know where we're going, I have framed today's text. Number one, the context of Isaiah's encounter with God. Number two, the content of Isaiah's encounter with God. And then finally, we're going to talk about the evidence of an encounter with God. Again, I'm going to give it to you one more time. I've framed this morning's text, the context of Isaiah's encounter, the content of Isaiah's encounter, and then we're going to talk about the evidence of an encounter with God. And I guess ultimately, I want you to walk away today asking yourselves, have I truly encountered God? Have I truly encountered God? Isaiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was careful to include the context of his encounter. He tells us that he saw the Lord, and here's the context, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, when we read this text, maybe just on our own, it's easy for us to bypass this short phrase and get into the larger body of this text because we really want to know about the mystery and wonder of the throne room, but we can't ignore the context in which Isaiah has this encounter with God. And the context, again, is I saw the Lord. Here it is. In the year that King Uzziah died, about 740 years before the birth of Christ. Now, who was the king Uzziah and why does this context matter? You see, Uzziah was crowned king at 16. Can you imagine that? And he reigned for 52 years in Israel. His early years were marked by godliness, innovation, and prosperity. And he reached a notoriety that was comparable to David and Solomon. But in his latter years, Uzziah succumbed to his arrogance and pride. You can read this in 2 Chronicles 26. And there's a story that symbolizes the fall of Uzziah. You see, one day he disregarded God's sacred order in the temple. And he decided, he decided to enter into a place that he was not permitted to go. You see, Uzziah got so puffed up in his pride that he thought he could go to the place kings were not supposed to go, but only priests in the temple. Are you with me? Now, the scripture says that as he walked into this place, that 80 of God's priests followed him in to confront him. And they confronted Uzziah, telling him, pleading with him not to go to the place he was not permitted to go. But the scriptures tell us that Isaiah became enraged. And as he raged against the priests, suddenly, like a normal Bible scripture would tell you when you're not supposed to be in the place that you're supposed to be in, suddenly something bad happened. What happened? The scripture tells us that he began to break out on his forehead with leprosy. So this once innovative, prosperous, and godly king was quickly removed from the temple and left to spend the rest of his excruciating days ostracized, ashamed, and secluded from his kingdom. 
So Isaiah sees the Lord. This is the context, right? The context is what was going on when Isaiah had this encounter. Here it is. Isaiah sees the Lord in a time of national tragedy and political instability. Again, just reading that phrase and being in a time that we're in and trying to look back to the time that they were in, it's hard for us to even understand what that truly means. But when your prosperous king has suddenly died, it throws the, world, throws the nation into a tailspin. And so Isaiah sees the Lord during a time of national tragedy and political instability. He sees the Lord when the nation is uncertain about its future and vulnerable to its enemies. You see, the timing of Isaiah's encounter is neither coincidental or accidental. It's not an accident that he sees the Lord when the king dies. Here's what I want to tell you, and here's the lesson I want to teach you from this point. At a time when God's people have been let down, disillusioned, and disappointed by their human king, the prophet Isaiah has a revelation of a divine king seated on the throne. And it begs the question for all of us in here today. When the world is shaking, who do you see? Israel and Palestine. Russia and Ukraine. Taiwan and China. Who do you see? With 2024 set to be an election year in the United States. That promises to bring more division. More fear-mongering, more name-calling. Who do you see? Come on, Inspire. Yeah. Let's get real. Will you become a political zealot or a graceless culture warrior? Depends on who do you see. Or how about this? Will you swing the pendulum because you're so angry at one side that you abandon clear biblical principles? Well, it just depends on who do you see. Will you be tempted to look to human presidents, politicians, and potentates to resolve the world's conflicts? Or will you empower leaders to trigger you? It depends on who you see. I don't know about you. But I know that I plan to not look to the left or to the right. But to lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Who will you see? Take note. Sear this in your mind. Because I guarantee you, the preachers and teachers of this house in a couple of months is going to be fighting against all of the tension and all the political manipulation that immature Christians are going to eat up and then have the audacity to call out their pastors and elders and leaders for rebuking them because of their idolatry. It'll happen. It's going to happen here. When that time comes, who do you see? Who do you see? My prayer for Inspire is that it will be said of us that was said of Isaiah. 
and the year that the king died, and the year of an election, <laughs> we saw the Lord seated on the throne in complete control, guiding the events of human history for your good and for his glory. Because his glory is always for your good. We move from the context to the contents of Isaiah's encounter. And here we want to answer two questions. Who did he see and what did he see? We want to answer those two questions as we observe the contents. Who did he see and what did he see? So let's answer that first question. Who did Isaiah see? In the past, and many of you might recall this, Israel encounters manifestations of the presence of God, usually in the form of fire, smoke, or even a cloud. That's typically how Israel encounters the manifest presence of God. The Shekinah glory usually manifests, reveals himself in the form of fire, smoke, or a cloud. But in this particular encounter, Isaiah is clearly seeing a person. He's clearly seeing a person. And this person is seated and clothed. Now, I want you to notice this person's name. And I'll have it for you here on the screen. You see, in verse 1, Isaiah calls him Lord. And if you look at the spelling of the word Lord, it's capital L, lowercase o, lowercase r, and lowercase d. But in verse 3, the seraphim call him Lord. And if you look at the spelling in your text, you will see a capital L, a capital O, a capital R, and a capital D. Are you with me? Now, the two variations of the capitalization indicate two different Hebrew names are being used. You see, Isaiah, lowercase o, lowercase r, lowercase d, is calling this person on the throne Adonai. And Adonai is a title for God, meaning sovereign one, supreme ruler. Now, this coincidentally, not coincidentally, actually, this same title would later be attributed to Jesus in the Greek New Testament. In fact, the Greek word is kurios, which means Jesus or Lord. Now, on the other hand, the seraphim were using the sacred name of God, whereas Isaiah uses the title the seraphim were using the sacred name of God. This name that was so revered by the Jews that they would refuse to speak it or write it. So they chose to reveal it in the text in this way. So who exactly did Isaiah see? Isaiah saw Yahweh Adonai. An appearance most likely of the pre-incarnate Christ. Seated on the throne. 740 years before the birth of Jesus. 
Now, I want to go back to the context. I love this. Isaiah sees Christ, the king, in the year that Uzziah, the king, has died. And I want to give you a, 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 a biblical hermeneutical study tool whenever you're reading this scripture. Whenever you're reading the scripture, I want you to know that no king will ever measure up to the true king. And that throughout Israel's story, you will constantly see even the best kings falling short in the end. The evil kings will be clear, but even the David and Solomon's will fall woefully short. Because Jesus Christ is the fulfillment. He is the greater David. He is the greater Solomon. He is the greater Uzziah. He is the one that Israel and the world hope for. He's the only king that can be perfectly trusted from beginning to the end. In fact, there will be no end. You know, a lot of us here in the United States say, what is the best form of government? And people will say a democracy. No, it's a monarchy. So, well, wait a minute. No, a monarchy in the hands of a tyrant is terrible. I agree. But the best form of a government is a monarchy in the hands of an eternally good, eternally gracious, eternally just, eternally holy and merciful God. We move from who did he see to what did he see? You guys doing okay? Three things that I want to, three points that I want to make. He sees the Lord sitting on a lofty throne. He sees the Lord wearing an opulent robe with an exaggerated train. And he sees the Lord surrounded by burning creatures. A lofty throne, an opulent robe, and burning beings. Let's talk about the throne. I want you to note the emphasis on the superior positioning of the throne. Notice it's not just the throne, which is already royal. But it is a high throne, a throne that is lifted up, a raised throne, a supremely exalted throne signifying the supreme authority of the one who occupies that throne. It is a throne that is above and beyond all other kings and kingdoms. And I love that he's seated on that throne because the seating on that throne indicates That what the prophet is seeing is Yahweh Adonai actively exercising his power. You see, when a king or a judge sits on their throne, it means that they're executing their judgment or they are exercising their authority and reign. But it's not just where he was sitting, but what he was wearing. He saw the Lord wearing an opulent robe with an exaggerated train. You know, a train is designed to hang low and sweep across the floor like a cape as the monarch passes. It's meant to communicate majesty 
and, and splendor. In fact, the longer the train, the wealthier the king. Because long trains were made of exquisite materials and, and by the best seamstresses. And I read in a couple of places that the longer the train in the ancient world, the more triumphant the king. Because kings would conquer other kingdoms. And they would take pieces of the conquered king's robes and add it to their train. So the longer the king's train, the more triumphant the king was. Now I want to show you a couple of pictures of some interesting trains. I think Pastor Roger was in that coronation. <laughs> For those of you that know his story, it's kind of funny. I don't have enough time to tell you the whole backdrop. So, <laughs> This is a 14 foot long train. Uh, it is one of the robe of the states is what it's called. It's made of red velvet, gold embroidery, and regal ermine, I believe. Worn by the king or queen upon entering Westminster Abbey each year at the opening of Parliament. The next robe is the imperial state robe. That weighs 15 pounds. Poor queen, how <laughs> she did it. And trails 21 feet. It took 12 seamstresses, seamstresses 3,500 hours to make. And yet, these earthly garments, no matter how weighty and impressive they may seem, even over-exaggerated, <laughs> they're dwarfed in comparison to the train that fills every corner and every inch of the temple of God. Can you imagine the train of his robe filling the temple? Now, some translations actually say the hem of the train of his robe fills the temple, which means it's just like the bottom part that fills the entire temple. I think about the story in the New Testament of the woman with the issue of blood. Who, while Jesus is surrounded by a crowd, reaches out just to touch the hem of his garment. And in touching the hem, the blood that kept flowing for seven years is immediately stopped. And she's made whole and healed. I'm here to tell you this morning that his hem and his robe is long. It's wide and it reaches every, fills every corner of the temple. If you just were to touch his hem, if you just touch his robe, you'd be made new. You'd be healed. And finally, and perhaps maybe the most fascinating part about this particular revelation of the throne room is that he is surrounded by seraphim or burning ones, burning beings. Now, you want to talk about like really weird things. <clears throat> I want to show you a photo of um, 
an AI-generated photo. I, I was going to try and mess around with AI myself, but I'm not real. I would have totally done something totally terrible. <clears throat> so I had to reach out to uh, some of my folks, and um, this was made by Pastor Randy Young, who's a pastor in Hawaii, and he does a lot of AI-generated art. And um, I just thought it was really powerful, and so I just maybe want to production. We can kind of keep this up here for a moment. <clears throat> We're told <clears throat> that the seraphim had six wings. With two, they covered their feet. And we talked about this actually uh, outside before service, the things that we talk about. <clears throat> With two, they covered their feet. And, and what some com commentators say as a, a sign and act of modesty. For some reason, your feet, we need to cover those toes. Some of y'all need some wings, you know what I mean? <laughs> With the other two, they flew. And, and, and I love this. They flew with the other two. The other two wings were for movement, revealing their readiness to quickly accomplish the will of Yahweh Adonai. And the final two covered their, their face. And I, and, I, and I think this is a great, the, the covering of the face is a good transition from the wings to the words that they're calling out to one another. We're told that Isaiah doesn't just see, but he hears these angelic beings burning, calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Tim Keller remarks that in the Hebrew, magnitude is conveyed by the repetition of the word. You with me? In fact, in Genesis 14, to convey the depth and darkness of a pit, we're told that they fell into pit pits. And in 2 Kings we're, to convey the, the intense purity of gold, we're, we're told that they, they possess gold, gold. Right? Like, as if gold wasn't enough or the, the pit wasn't enough, but to intensify, to, to magnify in the Hebrew, they repeated the word. But here's what's fascinating about Isaiah 6. Nowhere else in Scripture Will you find any quality tripled? But here in the throne room of God. You see, God is not just holy, holy. But he's holy, holy, holy. Some of you are three times crazy. Some of you will get that in many different ways. But God is three times holy. Three times crazy is the name of a group, just so you know. <laughs> notice, 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 notice. It's not his love that's repeated three times. Although God is love, it's not his kindness on repeat. It's not his goodness or mercy or justice. 
It's tragic, right? Because many of us live our lives as if God's chief characteristic does not exist. Do you think about it? We live our lives as if, as if, his, as if what's being repeated in the, home room, in the throne room is permissive, permissive, permissive. No, it's holy, holy, holy. But because we live as if that's not repeated, we, we tend to excuse our sin. Right? We excuse our compromise. We excuse our selfish pursuits as if the seraphim are crying out something other than holy, holy, holy. Lord, help us. But it's his holiness that is echoed in the throne room day and night. Why? Why? Well, I want to tell you about his holiness. His, his holiness is all of his moral excellencies bound up in one. It's his incredible generosity, his bottomless grace, but also his terrible wrath. It's his unbelievable justice and unconditional love. It's his total trustworthiness all put together in one. No wonder the burning angelic beings cover their faces. The only thing that I can even begin to compare his holiness to is the sun. It's the most powerful source of energy we know and it's at the center of our universe and though its rays can be comforting and can bring warmth and light and light to our world too much exposure to the sun can be deadly and and direct contact can utterly incinerate us. Even a quick glance at the sun can burn the retina and cause excruciating pain. And though his attributes can be rays of comfort, his holiness is blazing and it's burning. This is why God can be both beautiful and awful. Something like awful? Yes. He can be beautiful to those who fear him. And he can be awful to those who reject him. And I'm going to be honest with you guys this morning. This encounter that Isaiah has rebuked me. He, he's so much bigger, isn't he? He's so much greater He's so much more than we can think, imagine, or understand. He's beyond your comprehension. How foolish of us to compartmentalize God. How foolish of us to think that we can fit him into our schedule. What a fool I am to think that I can put God where I want to put him. How ridiculous of me to put him in a box as if his existence revolves around mine. As if I am the main character of my life and he's just a side piece. 
disrespectful, how dishonorable of me to think that I could tame him. And tell him where he can and can't go. Where he can and can't move in my life. When he is holy, holy, holy. When the whole earth is filled with his glory. When the hem of the train of his robe fills the temple. When the heavens are his throne and the earth is his footstool. That's heavy to me because if I'm being honest and if you're being honest, we have all compartmentalized God. We are all so overwhelmed with our lives. We're so self-absorbed with me and myself and I. I want to spend our final handful of minutes together observing Isaiah's response to help answer this question. As we get ready to move out of 2023, here comes the cliche end of the year message (laughs) and into 2024. I want to answer this question in Isaiah's response. What is the evidence of an encounter with God? I mean, anyone can say they've met God. Anyone can even make up a wild story. But how can we be sure that we truly encountered the Lord? How do we know? Well, I think we can look at Isaiah's encounter as a pattern to provide us evidence. And I think it's really important for us not to stick our heads in the sand but to truly examine our lives, to see if we're in the faith, to see it that we have encountered the splendor, the grandeur, the wonder, the awesomeness of this God. I mean, as we exit 2023 and enter into 2024, I think it's highly appropriate, right, that as you start kind of creating your goals and talking about your, what you want to accomplish, me, you, me, you, me, you, and God is on the of that list or maybe not even on that list. I think it's appropriate to maybe allow the revelation of God to do what it did to Isaiah to wreck it all. And you know, perhaps that's why you don't encounter the Lord because you know if you do, it'll wreck you. So I'm going to give you four pieces of evidence that I think by looking at Isaiah, could potentially be a pattern for us as we think about whether we have encountered God or whether we need a fresh encounter with God. Number one, humility. Number two, mercy. Number three, availability. And number four, service. Evidence one, and you guys are doing great, and I promise we're going to be landing this plane soon. Humility. In the presence of God, the first words out of the prophet's mouth are, woe is me. 
Woe is me. And then he says, I am lost. Some translations say, for I am undone. He says, I'm lost. I'm undone. In other words, Isaiah has been wrecked. He, he's troubled. He's disturbed. So fascinating. Right? He's in the presence of God. You would think that he would be full of joy. He is undone. He's dismantled. He is spiritually, theologically wrecked. He's in trouble and he knows it. He's flawed. He says, I'm unclean. He's filthy. He's ugly. He's foolish. In the presence of God, there's nothing praiseworthy about him. Now, I know this is hard to swallow because we live in a generation that's been convinced only to speak positive affirmations about yourself. To wake up every morning, to look in the mirror, and make declarations about how good you are. And this encounter and revelation immediately disturbs you. Even some churches have adopted this idea, this secular psychology, in the form of a therapeutic gospel. Serving only to inflate your ego. Because it's all about you. That God is here to serve you. Convincing us that we are worthy just as we are. We're worthy of God just as we are. But hear me out. Anyone who has truly seen God will truly see themselves. And it's not pretty. Anyone who has truly seen God will rightly and clearly see themselves as who they are a sinner. A sinner. We move from humility to mercy. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Thank God we just didn't stay there. Thank God we just don't stay crushed. Right? Thank God we just don't stay a puddle of filth in the presence of God. But what happens? What happens once Isaiah sees himself clearly? It's crazy to think that upon encountering the Lord, the prophet curses himself. You know, woe in scripture is the highest form of cursing. And, and, you know, sometimes prophets are sent to, like, send a curse over this individual or even this, speak a blessing. Speak a blessing. And yet Isaiah pronounces a curse over himself. Whoa, is me. I'm undone. Wow. I'm doomed. And yet, listen, as soon as the prophet confesses, one of the angelic beings swiftly fly over to him with a remedy of mercy, a remedy of grace. Now, I don't know if one of those things flew to me, I'd be a little, uh, no. <laughs> give me a swat it. <laughs> yeah, that was probably inappropriate. Just, I, you know, I think I asked, I forgot who I asked. That's my wife and somebody else in here probably even like, what would you think if one of these things flew at you, you know? But, but it's crazy because the prophet confesses. The angelic 
being flies over to him with a, a gift of mercy. You know what that gift is? It's a hot coal. A hot coal. And he, and he places it on his lips. Because the prophet knows that he's unclean and he lives among an unclean people. And I love it. The, the coal is not meant to torture him. But to cauterize his lips. And in the coal, we see the gospel. What made the unclean clean? What blessed the one who was cursed? What took away the prophet's guilt and atoned for his sin? It wasn't just the burning coal alone, but it was the burning coal that was taken from the altar. Which tells us that in the throne room, there's an altar. And if there's an altar, then there's a sacrifice. And so we see the prophet given a remedy of grace, a gift of mercy. And, and what happens as soon as grace touches the prophet, as soon as mercy touches the prophet, his perspective flips and he moves from woe is me, I am undone, to here I am. S send me. This, this is evidence of an encounter with God. This is how people respond when they've been utterly amazed by grace. They lay their lives down in worship. They present their bodies as living sacrifices in availability and service. Oh, I know you don't like that. I know you don't like that. We're very selfish. I know you don't like that. But they lay their lives down in availability and service. Notice when the Lord asks who will go for us, Isaiah doesn't say, well, let me pray about it. He doesn't say, you know, I'm really tired, God. I think I'm just going to stop serving you. When God says, who will we send? Isaiah doesn't say, well, let me check my calendar. Yeah. I got things I got to do. I, I, gotta, I got dreams I got to live. I got a life I got to lead. I got all these things going on. Isaiah doesn't do anything. He is so undone in the presence of a grand and lofty and opulent and wonderful and fearful and awful God. And he is so moved by the remedy of grace that a filthy, unclean, ugly person in the presence of God would not be immediately destroyed, but instead is offered a gift of grace. That he doesn't have to pray about it. That he doesn't have to rearrange his calendar. That he doesn't have to check his schedule. Because of mercy and grace, Isaiah turns into someone who will do anything and do everything for the Lord. In fact, you know what's crazy? And 
we're getting ready to finish up. Here, here's what's really crazy is that I didn't read the rest of the text, but <laughs> when Isaiah says, here I am, send me, God says, okay, I'm going to send you, and I'm going to send you back to Israel, and they're not going to listen to a word you said. <laughs> Their hearts are going to be stubborn and hard. You're going to spend the rest of your life wow. preaching, teaching, and prophesying to a people wow. that will despise you and never listen to you. That's like saying, Philip, go plant a church, and no one's going to show up, but I still want you to be there. But what's powerful is that even though the prophets hearers in the time didn't hear him, we hear his words today. I want to close. Commentators tell us that this was the day that marked Isaiah forever. In fact, some argue that they're curious why he placed this story in chapter 6. Like it should have been actually in chapter one because it was like the entrance into his prophet, to his ministry as a prophet. But this was the day. And it's funny because this was the day he encountered God. This was the day he was called to be a prophet to the people. And his day started out much like yours did today. You know why? Because he was just going to temple that day. It was just like, you're just, you just went to church that day. And you know what's really funny is that I was reading Tim Keller and he, he made a funny comment. He was like, just like all of us, just going to that church today and the last person he expected to meet was God. <laughs> Am I right? Getting up, getting ready, getting the kid right. The last person you think that you're going to meet at church is God. He was just going to temple. <laughs> up to this point, it was just a religion. The songs were just words. In fact, he probably came a little later. Wow. Maybe showed up to the temple about 35 minutes late, wait for worship to finish. Songs were just words. The rituals were just routines. Are you with me? I'm having a little fun. But on this day, his, re his religion turned into a relationship when he encountered God. On this day, he went from knowing about God to knowing God. Y'all with me? He went from hearing about God to being with God. This was the day he, he moved from a routine attender <laughs> to a fully devoted follower willing to permanently rearrange his wrecked life in order to prioritize the glory and the will of God. And let me ask this, and we're going to pray and sing. Did your 2023 feel rigid and routine? Praise God for you. Did you lack a passion to share the gospel? Come on, keep saying no. Where, were, were you on the sidelines all year, uninvolved or uninterested in any type of ministry? And I'm not saying, oh, come here and serve at the church. I'm talking about, were you building the kingdom of God? Were you serving the people? Were you building up the church? Were you sharing the gospel? Or maybe you were struggling with sin. Maybe this was a year of a lot of compromise. Have you lost the fear of the Lord, your awe, your wonder? And if the answer is yes, it's okay. Because there's a remedy of grace. Isn't that beautiful? It's a remedy of grace. And I love this because Jesus Christ succeeded everywhere we failed. Didn't he? Everywhere you failed this year, 
Every way you compromise this year, Jesus never failed. Jesus never compromised. Everywhere you messed up, everywhere you slowed down, everywhere you should have been there, but you weren't. Every time you should have shared the gospel. <laughs> where, where you failed, Jesus perfectly succeeded. And so what is the remedy of grace for all of us? We may not have this grand vision of this opulent robe and these angelic six-winged beings flying to us, but we have the grander vision yes. of Christ yes. Yes. on the cross. And I think sometimes we, God, I wish I had that. And Jesus like, I gave you me. It wasn't a seraphim. It was me. It was the king of glory that stepped down off of that throne. That took off his robe and put on human flesh. That lived the life that we can't live. Perfectly pure, eternally righteous obedient and submitted to the Father in every way. And then he was crucified on the cross, criminalized, though he was innocent, crushed, bruised, battered, rejected, abandoned. But three days later, he rose. He rose from the grave. And he ascended, and he is seated on the throne at the right hand of the Father, interceding on your behalf. So that if anyone in this room, no matter how unclean and filthy you felt 2023 was, come on, anyone ashamed of your 2023? <laughs> no matter how condemned or judged you feel you are, how much you didn't measure up or what you didn't do, or I'm sorry, Pastor Phil, I didn't make this here, I didn't do this, all that stuff that was happening, yeah, it's real. You're, we have to be honest with the Lord, but guess what? So that anyone who would just look to Him, who would just look to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, anyone would just put their faith, their trust, their hope in the year that the king died there was a greater king if you would just look to this greater king that anyone who would just believe in this room immediately the call would touch your lips immediately the remedy of grace would touch your life and your heart and you would be made washed and clean and forgiven atoned for and brand new and that truth and that joy and that love would motivate you to lay your life down to try try again because Jesus is worthy of it all. He's worthy of it all. What a savior. What a holy God. If 2023 was a year of failure and lackluster righteousness, <laughs> I want you to know that the perfection the righteousness of Christ has been freely given to those who believe. That's the vision that you have. Ha ha, Isaiah. <laughs> That's the vision that I have. And if the seraphim with the coal touching his lips was enough to wreck his life and change it forever, then Christ himself on the cross is so much more, so much greater. Heavenly Father, 
we pray to you this morning confessing sin, that we are sinners we are unclean we are unable to satisfy your righteous requirements you are so holy other than us that we could never ever measure up but we thank you because you have not left us hopeless we thank you that you have sent Jesus the king of glory you've sent Yahweh Adonai To live the life that we couldn't live, to die the death that we deserved, and to raise, to give us new life in Christ. And so I pray this morning that that vision, that revelation, that reality would empower us in 2024. That we would live a life worthy of the grace and mercy that we have so freely received. So Lord, would you be with us as we leave this place? Would you empower us to live holy lives? Would you teach us throughout the week? Lord, would you anoint us to live in rhythms of life? Would your grace empower us to show love and joy and forgiveness and mercy, to be available to that voice that tells us to love others, that tells us to tell others about you. Father, I just thank you for your forgiveness and your mercy, but ultimately, I thank you because you're holy. And we're careful in this room to give you all honor and all glory because you alone deserve, deserve it all. And we pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen and amen. May God's word continue to challenge and bless you throughout your day. Thank you for tuning in. And if you'd like to give to help us meet our match, please give at inspirechurches.com. Have a beautiful day.